The Open Nesters is a weekly podcast focusing on couples and individuals who are looking for new beginnings after their kids have left the nest. This week on the Open Nesters podcast with Dan Sibbles. Was I would start sentences to myself with my son's name. Because the moment I said his name, it's like it opened up more uh, ideas, creativity, compassion, acceptance in my brain. And I said different things, but I knew that they were true. So, you know, I kind of used, and I will coach people and myself with this. If you really want to know what is true for you in that moment is just say, if my child was in the same position, same age, what would I want for them? And you get, you get a good, you get a good answer. I was so happy to finally have Dan on our podcast. And I think that Amir really got to get a real view of some of the really interesting views on ego that he offers us. Very interesting. I look forward to listening to it again. Welcome to the Open Nesters podcast. My friend Dan from Colombia, who's a new friend. We haven't stayed that much in touch, but I was completely inspired by you. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. And, and you do not have a Colombian accent. I do not. In fact, uh, I left Colombia knowing, I think, less Spanish than when I went. <laughs> Not sad <laughs> when we try so hard sometimes. So Dan was part of a retreat that actually can be found in one of our earlier podcasts. We talked about it called Calling in Love that we did in Santa Marta Mountains of Colombia, that beautiful region that's the uh, heart of the world. What is it? Um, so it was such a beautiful, heart-opening place to be and do plant medicine and spend time and try to strip our ego, which is a big part of Dan's work. So we'll be talking a little bit about all the different amazing things he does. But let's first talk about why don't you catch us up at your personal where you are today as far as an open nester and your stage of life and just give us a little summary about you. Well, I I would say I'm definitely uh, an open nester in the sense that my son, uh, he's 27. He just started his career as a lawyer, got out of law school, passed the bar this summer. So he's legitimately on his own. Uh, only one son. And I live in St. Louis, Missouri. He, he lives in Springfield, Missouri. Um, so I'm pretty close to him, but I live alone in St. Louis in a small, uh, adorable old house with character in a really cool area. Wonderful. And, and so you're divorced. And, I am. And, and, and how, I mean, transitions and hard things and going through this transition of even your son being at this stage. Yeah. You want to tell us a little bit about this journey for you? Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, because of the line of work I am in, I absolutely discuss this, you know, because it is something where people will often look at me. And before my divorce, uh, you know, I've known people for 15, 20 years that knew my marriage and people looked up to it and believed it was great. It was until it wasn't. 
And it wasn't something that I had even seen with all of the skills I have. So it is a humble story to tell, but it's a necessary one for people that want to work with me to understand I'm also human. So, you know, long story short, it was a divorce that I never expected, uh, did not want, uh, but my now ex-wife went through a lot of things and without getting into it, you know, she fell in love with someone else. And so that divorce uh, was the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life. And I do divorce coaching, you know, and I already knew how hard it was, but it was harder than anything I've faced. It's still hard. It's been over a year. So I kind of uh, moved to St. Louis because I'm familiar with it. I've lived here before, um, but I just kind of moved out uh, of the area I was in, which was down near Springfield and started fresh. So I'm building a life socially, romantically. I've had a total of zero dates, but I've mm-hmm. thought but, about it quite a bit. But you have a lot of, you're reverse engineering the love. You're, <laughs> but it's only a year. And you know what? The wounds yeah. and the vulnerability is part of our work. It is. Um, as well as as well as I hope, which what you'll do in, in the next coming years is is letting the relationships that you'll encounter become a teacher because I think that's our our deep our deepest teachers sometimes are, are the relationships once we have our own enough grounding and self love to be able to see what where we can heal in relational love. Yeah, I agree, and I, you know one of the things that has been. Something I've had to do is I've had to literally talk to myself the way I would talk to a a client, because the truth is the way I would talk to them is more true than the way I would talk to myself, Uh, much more accepting and loving and compassionate. And so, you know, that's a tool I had to use like every minute for the first few months. And I also know that just because I understand and I know that I'm growing and I see things I'm going to do differently, I can feel my heart healing and I've got all this awareness that doesn't make it easier. No, the pain, you know, and it's amazing how true that is, right? So, you know, the, the authentic way for me to do it, you know, especially with what I do for a living is to not try to get rid of the suffering simply by understanding how it's going to end. The suffering is feeling. It's part of the healing. And, you know, it's so often I'd rather be at the top of the mountain in the sunlight experiencing suffering. (laughs) That's not where it occurs. It's in the valley. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm a lot further along than I was before. Um, So I can joke about it. You know, I can, I'm not thinking about it the same way. Uh, My sadness, you know, I do think about it every day, but the sadness is more around the life I lost and the, and the life that I planned for coming that I lost. So it's kind of a different grieving process. It's much easier, uh, even though on a scale of one to 10, it's still way up there on grief. I felt even, over a year out. Well, you're here. I mean, the healing is like we can't. We we can go towards direct experiences of how's the suffering and how am I feeling now, and how am I creating more space to move and like you said, the perspective of humor now, 
the distance yeah. that we get from it. And I believe that also movement helps us move things without, you know, resisting them, crying yeah. with them, moving with them, having the experiences that help us. So so how did the plant medicine experience in Colombia impact you? I mean, would you say you have any perspective on that? Yeah, it was uh, everything I had hoped for and what I had hoped for uh, kind of at my core was some very specific things. I did, you know, a ton of research before I went. Um, And I even know a good friend of mine is, is friends with one of the physicians that are working on the FDA trials for LSD and psilocybin. And so I kind of went, even though I wanted it to be a powerful, mysterious and spiritual experience, I also went because I felt like it would be healing to my brain, like my mental health would improve. And, and it did, you know, the things I noticed uh, were my habitual thinking blew out. So I literally had tendencies to still run uh, the same thought patterns, but they stopped and were easy to stop. Whereas before some of those just went kind of like a record in the back uh, you know, at the backdrop, uh, always playing. And it was noticeable because I would walk around and at first it was, I was like, I've never seen that before. And I realized, oh, I'm seeing things from a fresher perspective because I'm just not automatically dismissing things I see. So I noticed color and and trees. And that was, you know, one of my secret goals was to connect with nature more deeply, just because I hadn't through this process. I say secret goals because I went down there absolutely prepared to surrender. Even though I had desires, I'd educated myself. I worked intensely on surrendering with no conditions. And so these desires I had, I knew were kind of medically possible, a lot of studies and, you know, then setting aside the science and stuff, I just knew from a lot of experience with others and, you know, over the years of being open to things like this, I knew that it could be transformative in ways that I would not even predict. Uh, And it was, I mean, it was amazing. I noticed that for about a month, my posture was different because you just get habitually used to carrying yourself in a certain way, especially with all the, you know, the things that have caused us challenges to kind of push us down. But my posture was better. I noticed things more. Uh, What is still true for me is I have a much better experience in my mind with my thinking. It is easy. Well, I want to say it's easier to stop thinking and recognize thinking. Whereas before I could stop it, but it was often after I'd already gone down a road and it would come back. It was just like if, if I dropped something, thinking would happen. You know, even without me listening to it or hearing it or seeing it that, you know, there you go again, you're a klutz or whatever. However, I criticize myself that stopped. The noise, the noise in our mind is so so loud when we notice it. 
and yet getting down into our bodies with a direct experience. So you, you spoke of a few things that, that definitely touched me because in Colombia I was definitely surrendering to the uncertainty, which I think is a big idea when we go, go somewhere else. Yeah. How do we do that in our regular lives as well? Surrender to the uncertainty of what the next day will bring, what the next moment will bring, and be able to be in that direct experience, which for me is more embodied. So I was able to continue that practice of getting out barefoot outdoors because a friend of mine said, if you want to continue this earth mother earth you know, connection, you need to be connected to it with your body and your feet. Uh -huh. So I've spent since June every day, at least a half hour to two hours a day, barefoot in my backyard. And that's had such a profound impact on my grounding and embodiment because nice. I did surrender to the fact that what is it that I can do to be more in the direct experience and notice like you were saying those the all the little things and they make me cry now in a way i've never noticed so it's so true how we can open by surrendering yes and then even noticing your posture and then have the, the so for example you said only for a month but we have to that's a it's a practice if you well wanted. now it's more of a practice right. but for a month it just was that was the the new it was a reset you know, so it was kind of like I was standing the way I would normally stand if I had just won a small but good lottery. <laughs> <laughs> small, but good. Aha! <laughs> uh -huh. Yes, yeah, yeah, just kind of like, baby. oh, yeah, look at me, I'm alive. And 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 now I I do practice it, you know, so I I anticipated some of that would come, but I still find it much easier to practice it doesn't require as much to do it as it would have before so i you know i can tell that was a reset uh and it was an amazing experience for for many reasons but i was profoundly affected by even you know, what occurred in my ceremony. And I really don't tell people about it. I've told maybe three people and it took about an hour and a half. It's and hard, I, it's, I, hard, it's hard to experience. It's hard to express. I mean, I guess what I'd ask you about it is, is it something that, first of all, you will do again? Is it something you, know, you do? How do you feel about that? I will. I would absolutely. Now, when I did it, and I did it before everyone came down because I wanted to have that experience so I would be prepared for when everybody came to the retreat. So mine was a few weeks before. Um, and afterwards, it was it was weird. I had zero desire to do it again. And I remember talking about, I can't explain it. Words can't do it justice. But the only thing that really fit was I got everything. It was everything. And so the desire was gone, which was really interesting because one of the things that happens with plant medicine is you, you can drop cravings. And so the craving I had for like that incredible experience wasn't strong. Because what was strong was I actually received everything that I could have, I wanted to. And so it was like, yeah, I'm satisfied. Now, since that time, I can tell 
I'll want to do it again because I'll want not necessarily anything or I, and I won't be necessarily going for the same reasons, but I would be going because I think there's things that I would discover uh, that I can't even articulate. And that kind of excites me. Well, discovery is what I love to talk about as part of a big, a big theme of the open nesters. Because as we age, the discoveries that are so much more nuanced in our accepting grief, accepting the paradox, holding Mm. them, dancing with them, which is what I love to do with them, and knowing that we have more to discover and being excited about that, even even when there's so much uncertainty. So So how are you doing coming back to the open nest again and after your divorce? Like, first of all, how did your son... Do how did you do with how did your son do with that whole you know time and you, how's he doing now and how's your relationship? You know he and I, um, it, it, you know this transpired during the summer when everything uh, came apart and he was actually living uh, with us because he was working during the summer and so he was home. So he got to see me in a, a, a way that he's never seen me and you know I crying and upset uh, and it ultimately was wonderful in the sense that oh man he stepped up uh in ways I, I i bet he never had to in his life and so he it was really wonderful for our relationship um but it was i think in some ways um in, in some ways harder on him because we had a phenomenal family and marriage, and he modeled the way he he's engaged. He modeled his relationship on my marriage, and so also he had been with his stepmom since he was uh, six, seven, and he lost all of that in the sense that those memories don't look the same. That's not that that wasn't his biological mother. That was his stepmom, and so for him. All these wonderful family memories are weird. It's hard to look at those because he knew what happened. He was there and, of course, he was sad. But he's 27. He doesn't share a lot of that with me because, of course, he wants to take care of me. And, you know, I talked to him, of course. You know, if anything, he wishes I wouldn't be so vulnerable and open with him. He wishes I would be a little bit more stoic, probably. But I talked to him about it, but I understand he's probably going to do that grief with someone else. But I think that's something that is, I have no idea how it's going to play out. I'm just and staying I, and awake I hear, to it. I hear the honest sadness that's part of that grief, because when we're connected to our kids and we know that they're grieving, and even if he can't express it because he's helping you, it it's a pain that is part of life. And, and at some point, him doing the work to to know that that was still a valuable, beautiful family. And that past is can be in the past as the way we need to put the past, which we don't do very well in our society, in our world, in order to have direct experience of the present. Because obviously we can't model one. Re- I mean, it's always good. They say it's, mo- you know, a good relationship is the best example for you can give your kids, of course, in your home. So he had that. Even if even if it fell apart, yeah, and, and there I are many people who don't have that, that, and they still have to pick themselves up. So, 
it's still it still eventually comes down to our self-authoring, right? And and knowing that he will be able to come through it, having that trust uh, as the dad, you know, dad of a of an adult kid. Yeah, I think that that's kind of like I don't know how it'll play out because I know even I will harvest back all of the wonderfulness and the fun and the happiness and the love. Like I, at the beginning, you know, of course that anger that's, that comes from like a sense of powerlessness, you know, that's part of the survival mechanism. I, you know, I anger helped me pack my car, right. You know, and, uh, but that anger is unnecessary as time goes on. And then, you know, it can be a little scary when you start to feel a memory that's wonderful. Because a part of uh, moving forward was to not think about those things, those hurt. And it's like, I, you know, I've got to, I will hurt. I will think about those, but I'm not, I, I'm not going to just dwell on that. At some point, I have to start thinking about other things than all the things that occurred in the marriage. Well, in the future, I think those things, I know they'll come back, uh, even for my son, but I don't know how and when. I'm certainly not working towards keeping the way, and I don't think he is either, but he also had to be mad at first because he was you know, struggling to just understand how to get up and do his his day and what is happening to his dad. And, you know, I think a part of the way he recovered was to be mad. Absolutely. That's our emotions. Our human emotions are messy. Yeah. And, and you're right. Like, it's both. It's not that we put the past in the past and forget it. It's just that we don't have to keep the story of what that meaning of the past was. We can yeah. enjoy the experiences that we had in some way. And eventually I do hope that that's an opening for you. It will be, you know, I know it will be, uh, I don't have, you know, when I have thoughts, uh, that are blaming or victimy, I don't think that's a word, but I think everybody should understand yeah. that word. You know, I'm always aware that there's a, something underneath that, uh, you know, I need to look at and it's some kind of, um, pure, emotions that may be challenging, but I'm already at a place where I'm not allowing myself to stop with that kind of conclusion. Oh, I'm, you know, I, whatever I say to my head that allowed me before to just kind of brush my teeth. You know, I don't need that now and I'm not going to head that way. And I've, I, I, of course I've, learned a lot about myself. You know, I never look at a marriage and think, oh, it's just one side that has created this. It's both. That's been, you know, that's me walking the walk and what I do. It's hard. It's not fun. I understand why people get mad at me when I, when I lead them to do that. I get it. When you leave those hooks. So give us an example of that, like what, how you would coach your somebody going through your situation, because I loved what you did with helping us kind of as a facilitator of a few of the programs down there, kind of get our, our ego out of the way and our story out of the way. Yeah. So, you know, it depends on where you, where I am in it. You know, at first it was very different because it was a shock. You know, a lot of marriages break up and it's not a shock. Oh, I, you know, this isn't crazy. It's happening. And so I, it, it really took a couple of months before I was real able to kind of get in a rhythm 
of talking to myself. The first thing I did was I would start sentences to myself with my son's name. Because the moment I said his name, it's like it opened up more uh, ideas, creativity, compassion, acceptance in my brain. And I said different things. But I knew that they were true. So, you know, I kind of used, and I will coach people and myself with this, if you really want to know what is true for you in that moment is just say, if my child was in the same position, same age, what would I want for them? And you get, you get a good, you get a good answer. And so I had to do that. uh, You know, sometimes every, it felt like every minute. Um, And so I would talk to myself and I would even recognize, okay, right now, my mind is ruminating. And for me, that means I'm thinking through something about our marriage, something that happened, what's, this is before we finalize it, what's going to happen. And it, and I'm feeling the experience as if it's happening. And so it's, that's just a brutal place to be. And I would tell myself, hey, your thoughts are just trying to take control of your depth of feeling. And that depth comes first and it's pain, it's suffering, it's, it's healing, all of those things. But your thoughts are simply trying to gain control of this out of control depth of feeling, which is good. An out of control depth of feeling is healing. It, you know, that's where good things happen. And so I was just able not to eradicate that from occurring. But in that moment, I would coach myself and sometimes I'd laugh because I even hear the pushback I've gotten before because I thought it too. <laughs> give Wait, give me an example. So you've heard the pushback, like you're talking to yourself as if you would talk to your son. So you're saying, it's okay. Your thoughts are just part of what's trying to protect you. The depth of feeling is what really matters. So what's the pushback part? So a pushback, for example, is I'm 55 and I would be all of a sudden having this deep feeling of, I would say, fear of the future. And my thought reaction to that was you're going to have to be alone you have to get, you're going to have to get good at that because you're 55 you know who are you going to meet so my thoughts are pushing back against the idea that the future could be anything else but you know sad and lonely and so then you know i would recognize that i step in i notice those thoughts i don't try to argue against them i just point out they're unnecessary now Then when I coach myself, you know, listen, the future can be anything. You can find love if you want love. I'll push back in that moment. No, I can't. I'm 55. Where am I going to meet someone? How am I going to do that? I have had that discussion with every age of person I could possibly have that with. And then I find myself pushing back in exactly that same way of, you know, the bottom line is your, your mind views like the yearning to fall in love, your mind views that as a problem and the ego's like, I'll solve it. Let's make a list. (laughs) That's, you know, that's not how love works. And so my ego is constantly popping in to try to solve a problem when the problem 
is I'm having a deep feeling that it's not in control of. That's not a problem. Wow. That's so essential in life. Such an essential truth that I love how you 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 helped many of us really feel and see on the, in this in this as you facilitated it. Hey, welcome to the Explore More section of our podcast. We invite you to visit our website, theopenesters.com, and our resources page specifically. It's filled with great articles, books, and other podcasts to listen to. For example, it is worth you knowing about the internationally acclaimed sex therapist Esther Perel and her incredible TED Talks about infidelity and desire with books on the topic and our podcast, Where Do We Begin? This podcast deals with relationship challenges of all kinds. So I love that you're so vulnerable about talking as your own coaching ourselves because that gives us agency. I mean, yeah. somehow that helps us become on that on that on that perspective of evolutionary psychology of of going from socialized where everything is expected the way it was and the way uh, the programming of our lives have gone versus self authoring. And, and and then growing above that, which is self-transforming, like this idea that we can, yeah. is it Ken Wilber? I don't know which uh, who's the author on that, but the idea that we can then become, you know, uh, we can transcend that ego. And it's not, and it's a constant, every moment, awareness and discussion of feeling, okay, I have that direct, I have that direct experience. This is what I feel. And it's so... I, but and then sometimes I I argue with myself. But then how are you supposed to live? How are you going to plan? How are you going <laughs> to? How's that ego going to help you get what you need to get? Like you know. So so how do you calm people down from let's say just in your example the dating process? You haven't been out there yet. Yeah. What is the next step that you tell people to do with with getting out there, becoming well, curious? Right now, when I think of the phrase dating process, my eyes get really big because <laughs> that is happening. Okay. So this kind of relates to something that happened during my plant ceremony, plant medicine. So I had the experience of being very aware when my default mode network, you know, the, the source of my ego disconnected. I was aware that that was coming because in all of the science that I read, I knew that's what was going to happen. So I was very aware of that. And so that voice, that ego voice, I was aware when it stopped. And then when, you know, this is towards the end of the ceremony, it began to come back. I was happy to have it because it was the thing that made me know I was human to a level I didn't even have to wonder who I was. Oh, I'm I'm Dan, I'm Danny, I'm a human. And so I noticed that that voice, if it didn't operate 24-7, like I might not be able to remember or identify in this human experience. What I discovered, though, was the tone of that voice can change. What it says can change. But it's necessary to the human condition. And, and one of the gifts I see from it, it is the thing that makes me buy into this experience and not think, oh, I mean, you know, when you really think about 
why we're here, where we came from. It it's hard to get an answer. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> but the ego allows me to not spend my time in that thought. Cause I'm human. Why do I know that? Well, because this thing, and it's not me, but it, it is like, oh, but this is the thing that allows me to stay tethered. You're talking about this thing when you made this this uh, we're not visual here. So the talking head. <laughs> yes. This thing talking to me is actually ha has a purpose. You know, of course, it drives the car, you know, and it keeps me safe from a tiger chasing me, <laughs> which doesn't happen frequently. <laughs> but I was able. So I focus with people on, you know, it's not about eradicating it. It's about making sure how it talks to you is working. You know, because a lot of people, that voice is vicious, but it doesn't have to be vicious. Sometimes that voice can just be annoying <laughs> or background chatter. And there are times where it's gone, you know, moments and even extended, you know, moments where it's just beautifully gone, but it returns. You know, if you've got a get up and dress, your ego's like, okay, I got to be aware. I got to see what's going on. You just don't want your ego at that moment to start throwing wrenches at you to knock you down. That's the thing I think people struggle with is when their ego voice is not in alignment with where it should be. And so I really like telling people that this is not going to be about no longer being human. And what does being human mean? Like you've got fingers, you've got eyeballs and ears, and you've got a brain with an ego. Right. We're, and, not, we're not eradicating. We're just like listening to them with, with more compassion and softness so we can make it almost like a part, like internal family systems. Like, yes. I, I see you. You are my protecting exactly. ego. And you like to help me plan and make sure I get where I'm going. And, and that's not the direct experience of of my feelings and my and doesn't have to create a meaning and story and so you there are a lot of different voices you you referred to the one that was vicious but probably in coaching people there are different kinds of voices there are different kind of voices you've heard that you've had to help people unpack i would say one of the the most interesting ones is the people that in the moment they're in a situation, whether it involves people or circumstance that they do not want to be in, that is uncomfortable, that is frightening. Um, some people go blank. And I go a mile a minute, 10 lanes. And some people go blank, and that is terrifying to them. Those are the people that feel like they're stupid because I don't know what to say. You know, they struggle with putting themselves in risky settings where it could trigger that blankness because they feel utterly exposed, uh, not safe. And so, you know, part of the thing to do with them is get them to a point where they can get back into their bodies and feelings so they can even have an ego voice in that moment. And then the people that do, like I ask questions about, for example, let's suppose you're sitting on the couch, you just sat down, you're doing nothing. You haven't turned on anything. You're not looking at anything. Just a moment of neutral. What does your mind say? Because 
people that are depressed, especially if they're like clinically depressed, there's usually a change in what occurs. So for me, when I say vicious, like I have clinical depression in my my family history. Um, I know that that's coming if I go from, wow, you really screwed that up to cursing at myself. Can I curse on the podcast? Yes. All right. So I might be as vicious as like you fucking idiot. And and that thought is coming, you know, involuntarily from a, an area of my brain I'm not in control of. And so when I notice that the tone has changed, you know, or the, you know, the meanness has changed, then I'm aware, oh, something else is going on and I'm going to start looking for that. So that's one thing I do a lot with people is I, I get a gauge for what their internal voice is like and then listen for if it changes and teach them how to do that. Some people don't really struggle with it, the ego voice. You know, that happens. Um, And those folks, though, still may not be utilizing their voice as well as they can, especially when they don't really have an ego that's knocking them back. It's like, well, then maximize what it can do for you. And so I think one of the things you always have to do is learn how to do some discipline of your mind. But it's never about uh, disciplining it so you never have to discipline it again. It's a, Right. <laughs> exactly. It's like raising a child. <laughs> Continuous practice. We never arrive. And, and that's why this journey has been so interesting. I'd love you to give, which I didn't ask you, and I would like you to say it yourself, some of these amazing background that you have in your training to be able to bring all this together, because you don't use labels like a therapist. You come at something from a very direct experience, which I think is why it's so powerful. So how, how did you get to this point in your own training? It, it was, you know, uh, it was it was life changing, of course, for me, but it was also then I was embarking on a new career. And so how it happened for me, it, it, it was in the late 90s, 1998, I just had this wild feeling that I knew was soul-driven. And so I went on a trip that was kind of spiritual and adventurous in Peru. And, and that kind of was... You had been an attorney, a practicing attorney. Yes. And I was still practicing. And I had wanted to be a lawyer since I was five. I wanted to be a lawyer for all the right reasons. So it, it just was, I was getting a different calling. So I went on this trip and that opened my eyes. I realized, okay, there's a whole part of me that I want to discover. Then I went to a course a couple months later, a a friend took me and the course was phenomenal. The facilitators were phenomenal. It was, uh, it was in integrity. It was just beautiful. So I would go to this course about every three months and you get to assess, which means you just help. Then I decided the name of that course. Yeah. At the time, my teacher was uh, it it was a couple lawyers that lived in St. Louis. I came up here. Bill Riedler, uh, who's no longer alive, uh, started the course. It was called UIO, which stood for understanding yourself and others. Um, He when he passed away, he uh, gave the company to one of my longest and closest friends and. I learned 
to teach this course with him. And then I continued to do it with my friend when she took over the company. And the name of her company is Your Infinite Life Training and Coaching. And the training that I did took two and a half years, and it was harder than law school. You know, so I I did not go learn how to be a life coach. I went and literally spent years working on myself in intense ways so that anytime I'm ever working on someone, a part of my training is to see how I'm just like them in this moment. Not, oh, I, I, I had that in the past, you know, but handled it, but know where I am. And so even when I've uh, taught somebody who um, got a DWI and killed someone in an accident, like I haven't done that, but I know I could be that careless and that could happen to me. I've made mistakes and I probably will make others where I could be in the position where I negligently kill someone. Now, I'm not going to do it drinking and driving, but emotionally, mentally, I look at eye to eye at the people I work with, never above, never beneath. And so that requires me to never be a master, to always be aware and working on issues, and also always be aware that I need other people too in order to navigate those. So that my training was phenomenal. And we in the the company were required to continue it. So every year I'm continuing to do this intense deep work. So I can take people really deep if they want to go because I've gone that deep so many times and even deeper. And so to me, that's kind of what stands out as different in the way I was taught. You, I learned to coach by working on myself, not by working on others. You know, and then the practice was took years to really get good at. And so I, over time, decided I kind of wanted to move away from the law. So I was looking for a way out, uh, finally got that, and then started doing this full time. And so probably since about 2013, I've kind of devoted my full career to this, although I do still practice some law. I work on some class action cases, not very many, and I use my law degree coaching a lot. Right. You even mentioned helping, helping law students or people entering the law field. Just be yeah. able to use their that all both sides of their brains in a very interesting way, and I think that's what's so novel about the way you approach things. Um, and then, and then what you were saying about this co-creation—I mean, that is the kind of ultimate coaching we want, anyway—is that we're co-creating our our direct experience together, so that we can learn from each other in that moment. Yeah. So that's all of it is so wonderful. So just to wrap up, Dan, is there anything like, first of all, anything coming up or ways we people can reach you? Like, I'd love you to give us that how to reach you and verbally, and then we'll have it in the blog as well. And in our podcast notes on the, on all the platforms. Cool. Well, uh, I did, uh, since I last saw you, I, I did get a, a new website finally complete and up, but it's Dan, uh, But if you put in my name, Dan Civils, it's going to come up. There's another Dan Civils who's a famous game developer. 
I've never oh, met him, but my name's rare enough. You put my name in Google, it'll it's come up. S-I-V-I-L-S. Dan yeah, Sibyl, it's just yeah. like civil with an S on both ends. And that's the easiest way to reach me. I'm on all the social media platforms under my name. So I'm pretty easy to find. If there's anything else you would suggest to somebody who's facing this transition as an open nester uh, with, with kind of your the way you approach things, what would you suggest? I, I would suggest connecting with people. Because um, no different than when you were leaving home for the first time and you had all the unpredictable and fear of how is it going to be? Am I going to meet people? What's life going to be like? What will I do? You know, becoming an empty nester is kind of like that. And at this age, though, you have a tendency to do things alone and if you connect with other people, you get to feel really normal. <laughs> yeah, all the mess of the of the honesty of being together in community with like-minded people and and looking for like-minded people. We have a lot of resources on our website about that too. So thank you so much for this time today. Thank and you. Really, really appreciate it. And we'll hang out and talk for another minute. As always, Tessa, good interview. I like it a lot. Very nice. So as you can see, thank you. As you can see, um, this interview really deals with a lot of the topics that we talk about quite often about our thoughts being unnecessary that, you know, you and I can can get to, but how, how this stage of life is really about opening new ways of thinking. And he said something that I'm actually uh, challenging myself now with listening to again, which is that the out of control depth of feeling is healing. So it's 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 kind of the idea that that we can, we need to lose control in order to let our feelings have a, 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 a deeper a deeper meaning have have their have their movement have their uh, life have give them acceptance give them validity and and know that our thoughts and and point out to our feelings that the thought and the story about it is unnecessary and that the future can still be anything as he says well it's all about self talk i mean he is a coach and a life coach, I believe, that coaches uh, lawyers as well as individuals. And divorce coaching. And divorce coaches. Too, yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a special coach. And, you know, it's very difficult to coach yourself, as he mentioned it himself. But it's the self-talk that we are dealing with here. Remember the Anxiety Sisters? Yeah, that, that was an episode that talks a lot about that. You remember you liking the being in control, navigating in the car, you driving next yeah, to me. Yeah, I mean, listen, listening to that and trying to control your thoughts by saying, I see you, I know you, I am ag- ag- accepting and recognize that you're here with me, but listen, as long as you're here, you come for the ride, you stay, c- you stay quiet and let me drive. I'm the driver. And that helped me a lot. And I think uh, Dan is talking about self-talk in that in that fashion, how to coach yourself and how to get yourself up from uh, deep emotional disturbance. I love the idea of listening for the change. And I'm still trying to figure that part out too because the ego voice he was talking about when he coaches someone else, that tone of voice, and we need to have the ego voice. And that's what his, that's what his premise is, which yeah. it is so hard to eliminate that that ego that is our protector. It's not an arrogant ego, it's our protector as in our brain, but the tone of what it says can change. So how can we listen for well, that? The, the ego voice, the way I see it, the ego voice is uh, telling yourself, listen, uh, you know, you're better than that. You know what? Nothing is wrong with you. 
is not accepting really your uh, problem or challenge that is ahead of you that you need to deal with. I think that's what the ego voice is. I don't think, I think you're talking about as if ego is arrogance, but in this particular case, they're talking about the ego actually knocking you down. The ego being this brain over controlling brain that doesn't have a nice tone of voice. He talks about it being vicious to you. So there, it can be both ways. Uh, let's talk to them about okay. it. But, but I do let's think, do but I do think that it's got both. It could be the arrogant one. It could be the protector one. Well, we have so much to learn in our in our journey, this journey of ours, and that's why this stage of life gives us all of a sudden this open open chapter to choose how we want to think and feel and and notice our feelings and and tr- and and elevate this the love that and the joy rather than and the compassion and gratitude so that we can complete our lives with that peace and, you know especially in this stage of life where we kind of like sometimes i don't want to say lost but it's a it's a brand new feeling a brand new environment the house is quiet perhaps uh, uh the kids are not anymore the focus and the center of the couple i mean this is a time where we do need outside help we do need some coaching we do need some self-talk and i think that then pretty much uh, hit it right on the nose in that Yes, thanks, Dan. I know that you're a good co-creator in the way you do coaching. So if anybody wants to reach you, And please do. I mentioned to you on the Explore More section that there are so many resources on our website to explore, listen to, and find out more about any subject that has to do with The Open Nesters. So I invite you to visit our website, theopennesters.com. That's double S in the middle, and S at the end, theopennesters.com. It's double N in the middle. And we would love to get your comments and hear some feedback on anything. Or if you have guests that you want to suggest that are great doing some interesting things at this stage of life, especially any partners out there that are interested in, like, I think a lot of our guests have loved coming on because they feel like they were able to validate their stage of life that they're going through and they're opening. And if you're a couple that's kind of all of a sudden rediscovering something, we're really interested in talking to you, so please do feel free to email me, tessa at theopennesters.com, or go to our closed Facebook page. Please help us on social media by joining our community on Instagram, The Open Nesters. And, and thank you for doing that and sharing. And thank you for listening and making us such a great and popular podcast. Thank you. Till next time, this is Amir. And this is Tessa. And we will see you on the next episode. Ciao. You have been listening to the Open Nesters podcast, a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media. Executive producer, Tessa Crone. Music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio engineering by Lucid Sound. Web design and blogs, PJ Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com.